You're listening to Life in the A-Zone podcast. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and these are my stories of moving back to my hometown in Louisiana after 36 years to live with my father and mother after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's been a tough journey, but through the hard times, I found the strength to keep moving forward and find those precious moments of grace. Writing my stories of love, laughter, life, and loss in the A-Zone has helped me to grieve and heal. I'm honored to share them with you. Thank you for listening today. Let the sunshine in, I announce one morning as I find mom and dad sitting in the living room drinking coffee with all of the blinds closed. The living room has three walls of windows that look out to a beautiful forest setting backyard, including a deck and fountain. It's my favorite room in the house and full of sunlight when the blinds are open, but when they're closed, the room feels gloomy and suffocating. This is not a good atmosphere for dealing with mom's Alzheimer's and my lingering depression. I walk around the room, turning the rods to open the blinds. Three windows for each wall. Nine blinds. I finally broke down and made an appointment today to see Dr. April, who is my mom's general practitioner. I brought mom to her doctor's appointment several times since we moved back to Baton Rouge. Mom loves Dr. April, and I'm impressed with her bedside manner. She was the one who referred us to the neurologist and has been on this journey with our family since we first noticed Mom's dementia. She's also a family friend, going back to when she babysat my sister's kids while she was in college. Waiting in the small office, I realize this is a form of surrender. I need help. I can't deal with this on my own. I'm full of anxiety, can't sleep at night, and feel very depressed. Hi, Peggy. I was surprised to see your name on the list today. How are you? Dr. April says to me. I'm a mess. And I burst into tears. She hands me some tissues and sits across from me. Of course you are, Peggy. You are living with Alzheimer's. I leave with a hug and prescriptions for anxiety sleeplessness, and depression. I feel weak, broken, and defeated. I'm grateful for Dr. April's compassion and understanding. It was a relief to have her inform me falling apart is normal for caregivers. I head to the drugstore counter in the local grocery store and drop off my prescriptions. While I wait, I stroll around the store and decide we should have tomato soup for lunch. Campbell's tomato soup, the ultimate comfort food. I fill a plastic hand basket with the soup, a quart of milk, sliced American cheese, and saltine crackers. As the pharmacist hands over my bag of pills, she smiles at me and tells me to have a good day. She is the same pharmacist that fills my mom's meds. I wonder if she sees this regularly, family caregivers who eventually break down and come in for their own meds. I am officially a medicated caregiver. I've joined the club. I surrender. Life in the A-Zone is kicking my ass and sucking my soul. I sometimes wonder if I'll ever feel like myself again. My mom's disease is hammering me. Arriving home, I discover mom is sleeping in her bed and dad is upstairs in his office. Now 81, my dad is still working. 
He has his own recruiting company and places people in the industrial sales industry around the world. He loves helping people find jobs, especially if they've been laid off. My dad can relate to the dismay of a layoff. After 37 years, when he was given a package and shown the door, he turned around and opened his own company and has never looked back. With mom's Alzheimer's, it has become harder and harder for him to work. He goes up to his office to call clients and send emails, but mom has no sense of time and thinks he's been upstairs all day, even if it's only been 15 minutes. What are you doing up there? Nobody cares about me, she hollers from the bottom of the stairs. I'm working, Sherry. I will be down soon. Just give me a few more minutes, he hollers back. You've been up there for hours, she replies. He finishes his work, hurries downstairs to fix her lunch, takes her for a ride to Dairy Queen for a blizzard shake, watches TV, plays old family movies, anything to pass the time. He is grateful when she takes a nap so he can escape to his little office at the top of the stairs. Today, I find it very sad that mom is already taking a nap. It's 11 a.m. My mom never napped before Alzheimer's. I open the bedroom door and she is lying there staring at the wall. Mom, are you okay? Are you hungry? I'm going to make some tomato soup. I say sweetly as I walk over to her side of the bed. Hi. Okay. That sounds good, she says listlessly. I sit on the side of the bed, lean down, and kiss her. I touch her hair tenderly. She needs color, but her hairdresser appointments are rare these days. She has no patience to wait while the color processes in her hair and gives her hairdresser a hard time, so it is just not worth it. I buy hair color powder and touch up her roots if we have somewhere nice to go. I help her out of the bed. She's dressed but has a short robe over her clothes. She's always cold these days. Where's Dad? she asks. Upstairs working, I reply. He's always working, she says sadly. She sits at the kitchen table while I make the canned tomato soup with milk, just like she made it for me as a child. It's our favorite. She used to unwrap sliced American cheese and place it on top of the hot soup to melt, so I do that now. Once it begins to melt, I swirl it around with a spoon, add lots of black pepper, which she loves. I bring her the soup, saltine crackers, and an iced tea. I sit and join her with my bowl of soup. This simple meal brings me comfort, and I hope it brings her some comfort, too. I glance out the kitchen window and see a bright pink blanket of azaleas on the bushes in the backyard. Blooming azaleas are a sign that spring has sprung in Baton Rouge. This burst of pink is just what we need today. Look, Mom, the azaleas are in bloom. They are beautiful, she says and smiles. Her smiles are rare these days. After lunch, let's go outside and take pictures by the azaleas. I clear off the kitchen table and walk her back to the bedroom to take off the robe. Let's find something pink for you to wear in the picture, I say as I open her closet door. I find a bright pink jacket with black trim. It's a perfect pink to match the azaleas. This is perfect, Mom. You'll match the flowers. I have to put this on? Really? 
she says and laughs at me as I make her change into the pretty pink jacket. She follows me into the bathroom and sits at her vanity. I start primping, powder, blush, eyeshadow, eyebrow pencil, mascara, and pink lipstick. I brush her hair and hide the roots with the magic hair powder. What are y'all doing, Dad asks as he comes down the stairs and hears us in the bathroom. We're going to take pictures outside by the azaleas. I'm a makeup artist and hairdresser today. I left some tomato soup on the stove for you for lunch, Dad. Thanks. Sounds great. I pose Mom in front of the azaleas and take pictures with my iPhone. She smiles and we laugh together. I snap a few selfies of both of us. The pictures of Mom are beautiful. She looks healthy, vivacious, and alive. Her eyes are sparkling. In this precious moment of grace, it's like old times. However, I look pale and disheveled with mascara still under my eyes from crying at the doctor's office. I look lifeless. I should have redone my makeup and hair. Gray roots are showing. I need that magic hair powder. I text the pictures of mom to my sisters. Gorgeous. So cute. Save that picture, they text. We sit in the living room on the big green sofa looking at the pictures on my phone. Look, Mom, you are gorgeous. She smiles, and I can tell she likes her pictures. My mama loved pink, she says. I know. It was Nanny's favorite color. A loud noise from the bookshelf next to the television startles us, and we both look up. What was that, I say? And I walk over to the bookshelf. I don't know, she says. A picture frame fell over, Mom. That's weird, I say, lifting up a five-by-seven wooden picture frame which had fallen face forward onto the shelf. It's a photo of my grandmother, Nanny, in a pink shirt holding my newborn niece, Peyton, years ago. I walk over and show it to Mom. She's here. My mom's here, Mom says. And I know it's true. Nanny, as we called our grandmother, was full of life and a shining soul. My mother inherited her love of life, family, and food, which she passed on to us. We were lucky to have such a young and loving grandmother. Belvedrine was a spunky redhead and a true Cajun from Ville Platte, Louisiana, and the third youngest of ten children. When she was just ten years old, her mother passed away from blood poisoning from a splinter in her foot, leaving a newborn baby boy, Louis, and five-year-old May for Nanny to mother as the rest of the kids were out working in the fields or married and gone. She quickly took charge of her siblings and the household. At fifteen, her sharecropper father sent her to live in New Orleans with cousins. He thought it would be a better life for her. Within months, she was married and pregnant with my mother. Poppy, our grandfather, was Irish and grew up in New Orleans. He died at 49 of lung cancer when I was seven, and I don't have many memories of him. Growing up, our trips to New Orleans from Baton Rouge to visit Nanny were a treat, especially in the summer when I would spend a week with her. Sometimes I would go alone or with my sisters. My cousin Siobhan, who lived in New Orleans, would always stay with us along with Tammy, a young girl my age who Nanny babysat and who we loved like a sister. 
Nanny would plan endless activities for us. Our days would be filled with walks down St. Charles Avenue to the Audubon Zoo to watch the seals being fed, riding the streetcar to Canal Boulevard to shop and have lunch at Maison Blanche, playing with dolls and Barbies, marbles, and jacks on the front porch. At least one day, we would rendezvous with our Vadrine cousins, Jean, Mark, Barbara, and Suzanne, to go crabbing on the local bayous. We would lean over the water with chicken necks tied to the big crab nets, hoping to catch dinner, then have a picnic with bologna or ham sandwiches on white bread with mayo, creole mustard, potato chips or Cheetos, and little Debbie cakes for dessert. Nanny would stand at her stove in her tiny kitchen in the late afternoon, fixing all of our favorite meals. She was an excellent cook, and everything she made from her gumbo, chicken fricassee, shrimp creole, red beans and rice, white beans, okra, and more, was delicious. Do you want a little pusher, she would say, pulling out sliced bread to sop up all the leftover gravy on our plates. And boy, could she make great gravy. For breakfast, she would fry eggs, make a big pot of buttered grits, and serve hot biscuits with her homemade fig jam made from the fig tree in the backyard. A hot buttered biscuit with fig jam and a glass of milk is still one of my all-time favorite breakfasts to this day. And my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Some mornings, we would pile into her Volkswagen Beetle and drive to McKenzie's Bakery for hot donuts with small cartons of milk to consume in the car. We would bring home little dobash cake squares in different flavors for dessert that night. Some nights after dinner, she would take us to the local snowball stand for bright pink nectar snowballs, a New Orleans specialty laced with condensed milk on top. Our favorite treat was driving out to Lake Pontchartrain, where they sold watermelon by the slice next to the huge Mardi Gras fountain. The light shining on the water jets changing in different colors every second was magical. We loved running around the giant fountain before going to sit on the top steps that went right down into the lake. We would sit eating our watermelons, sprinkled with salt, feeling the wind off the lake spray water on our faces, and listening to the waves crashing against the bottom steps. One night, we saw lightning across the sky and heard thunder in the distance. But we were having too much fun and didn't want to leave. Soon, the heavens opened up, dropping sideways rain that I've only seen in Louisiana. Back home, Nanny would run a hot bath with Mr. Bubbles for us, and two at a time, we would jump in to bathe, then put on our cute summer pajamas. Nanny loved music. While we bathed, she would play her Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra albums on the big stereo console in her living room. She taught us how to jitterbug to end the mood. She told us the story of how she once met Dean Martin when he was in town, and he kissed her hand. She swore she didn't wash it for a week. She only had a one-bedroom apartment, so she would set up our sleeping bags in the living room, and two of us would sleep on the sofa with our heads on each end and our legs side by side in the middle. It was a slumber party, and we would giggle late into the night. (laughs) 
Nanny would take the Greyhound bus to visit us in Baton Rouge several times a year. Mom would let her take over the kitchen, and Dad couldn't get enough of her great dinners. Late at night, she would sneak upstairs to our room, bringing us little Dixie cups of 7-Up and Sarah Lee brownies on a tray. It was our little secret. Nanny loved pink, and pink became the color of the world for her six granddaughters, nieces, and Tammy. She kept a hot pink suitcase of dolls and doll clothes under the bed for us to play with when we visited. At Easter, she bought us baby chicks that had been dyed pastel colors. We would fight over who could claim the pink chick and spent hours decorating eggs that were mostly pink. She bought us pink matching pajamas. She made us pink Shirley Temples with cherries, and we sat on the porch with her for happy hour with paper plates of cube cheese and grapes while she drank her whiskey sour. Her bedspread was a pretty pale pink chenille, and her bathroom had a pink shower curtain and a pink rug. It was always a pink fest with Nanny. Twenty years ago, Jimmy and I were at a wedding in Florida when my mother called to tell me Nanny was dying and now in hospice care in New Orleans. We changed our ticket to fly back to Louisiana instead of Los Angeles. Arriving in New Orleans the next day, we rented a car and drove straight to the hospital in New Orleans East. My mother had just left to drive back to Baton Rouge after being by Nanny's side for days. She wanted to go home and take a shower and get clean clothes. Jimmy stayed with me for an hour, then left to go meet an old friend. I was now alone with Nanny. On morphine, she was in and out of it and started making weird noises when she breathed. Why is she making that awful sound, I asked the nurse. That's the death rattle. All her organs are shutting down. It won't be long. He gave her more morphine in the IV, and then he walked out. I crawled into bed with her and put my arm around her. I love you, Nanny. It's okay to go. I love you, I whispered to her. Aunt May, Uncle Willie, and Uncle Louis arrived, and I quickly climbed out of the bed. They were shocked to see how their beloved sister looked. She opened her eyes, acknowledging them, but kept drifting off. A Catholic priest came into the room to offer her communion, but once he saw her condition, he asked us if he should give her the last rites. Yes, please, I said, and then thought maybe I should have waited for my mother to be here. Was she dying now? Oh, no, should I call my mom? We stood around the bed, praying and crying together. After her siblings left, Nanny opened her eyes and was staring at the end of the bed as if she were looking at someone standing there. Nanny, what are you looking at? I asked her. Nothing. Really? She said unconvincingly and just kept on looking. I felt as if her mother, father, and my grandfather were all there waiting to take her home to heaven. It was eerie, but comforting at the same time. My mother arrived a few hours later to spend the night with her, and I kissed Nanny goodbye, and we drove back to Baton Rouge for the evening. Look at the sky, Peggy. The heavens are opening up to take your grandmother home. Jimmy said to me as we were driving across Lake Pontchartrain. I looked up to see a brilliant 
pink sky. Pink. Nanny's favorite color, I said, and started to cry. Two hours later, Mom called and told us Nanny had passed. Dad, Jimmy, and I sat up waiting for my mom to get home from New Orleans. She was waiting for you, Peggy. You were her first granddaughter, and I think she wanted to see you before she died, Mom said as she walked in the back door. We sat on the green sofa, hugging and crying for the rest of the night. I told her about the pink sky and what Jimmy had said to me. From that day on, every time we have seen a pink sky, we exclaim, A nanny pink sky! And my mother always says, My mom is here. Then we stand in the glow of the pink sky in silence, knowing we are being taken care of. Throughout the years, we have texted pictures of pink skies from wherever we are. The pink sky is our guidepost, and we know Nanny is watching over us. She is our guardian angel who makes everything okay. So here I am sitting with Mom today on the old green sofa, and she is in her pink jacket holding the picture of Nanny in a pink shirt that just fell face down on the bookshelf while we were looking at the pictures on my phone of Mom standing in front of the pink azaleas. It's a total pink cloud moment, and we are blessed. At this moment, there's no Alzheimer's. There's no depression. There's no sadness. Just pure pink joy. And we are okay because we know Nanny is here. Pink cloud moments come in many forms if you look for them. I like to think that the more you look for them, the more they will come. A pink cloud moment came today in our backyard in the form of a blanket of brilliant hot pink azaleas. This moment of grace didn't cost anything and didn't require much effort, but the happiness and memories in the beautiful photograph of my mother will last for the rest of my life, and for that I am grateful. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and each week I will be sharing my stories of life in the A-Zone. My hope is for you to find courage, strength, and grace as you navigate your caretaking journey with your parents, spouse, or family members. New episodes will post each Wednesday. Follow me at Life in the A-Zone on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out my best-selling book, Meanwhile Back at Cafe Dumont, Life Stories About Food, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Pelican Publishing.